Hello, hello, welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're talking about Bellator 284, Gracie vs. Yamauchi, coming up on Friday, the 12th of August, with a 6 p.m. Eastern start time. This event's being held in the Midwest. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, 13 total fights on the card, no championships. The main event will feature Neiman Gracie, one of the Gracie Flamin members against Gyori Yamauchi. Should be a good fight. Co-main event's gonna be Valentin Moldovsky, the young Russian who's 11-2, versus Steve Mary, the American who's undefeated at 10-0. There are some prelim bouts that are a bit wacky. They're like minus 1,000 favorites, guys who fought like one fight or whatever. We're actually gonna go over most of the fights in this card pretty quickly. I didn't do a deep dive. This is more just to give you guys an overview, give you guys some feedback, some thoughts, if you're looking to gamble. With that said, guys, let's jump to the first fight in the card. It's gonna be Brett Bai versus Ma Ya the second. All right, let's jump into it, guys. Here we go. All right, the prelim card's gonna open up with a catchweight bout at 175 pounds between Brett Bai, who goes by Seabass. And Brett Bai is the local kid. He's from South Dakota. This event's being held in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Going up against a guy who goes by M-A-Ya, the second, or maybe I can just call him 11, like the show Stranger Things, 11. So Ma-Ya, 11, or the second, whatever. He's 4-0, undefeated, you'd like to see that. Young prospect. Currently a slight favorite here at minus 170. Only 22 years old for Maya, 25 years old. The other side for Brett Bai. Bai is a slight underdog. Again, local prospect. He's 5'10 compared to the 6'2 listed here for Maya. Sounds so weird saying his name. Now, Ma trains out of Skywalker 101 Boxing Academy, I believe, with the likes of Anthony Smith. So good training camp. And for Brett Bai, he trains out of Next Edge Academy of Mixed Martial Arts. Bai is a former wrestler. You could tell by his topology photo. He was a pretty good wrestler, like a state-level champion, standout. He's got, he's got that in his back pocket. And for Ma Ya, he's a bit of a wrestler too. Likes to land some ground and pound. Very good athlete. I feel like the local kid, it, it's a good fight for him. He's not traveling too far, you know, being close to home. Now, if you remember though, Anthony Smith, who trains out of Skywalker 101 Boxing Academy, that would have to be someplace close to Nebraska, which is also not too far. The theme of this entire fight card, Bellator is having a lot of local fighters from the region, Nebraska, you know, South Dakota, that area of the country. I'm going to take a stab at Brett Bai. Having watched very little film on Brett Bai, haven't seen anything on Ya. I'm going to go with Brett Bai. He's a local kid. I like his nickname, Seabass. Both young fighters, though, and both guys that I think Bellator, it uh, it benefits them. You have guys that are good prospects. If they don't win this fight, they have still bright futures. Guys that maybe you can bring back again later on. Not going to look like just cans. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to have a good fight here. But I'm going to take Brett Bai. Now, he's sitting at plus money, guys. We're like plus 140, plus 150. If you want to take a bet there, you get a good return. But, you know, I would caution anyone betting on these early fights. That's the breakdown of the first fight. Let's move on to the next one. Here we go. Moving up the car, we've got a Bantamweight bout at 135 pounds between Mitchell McKee, who goes by Merciless. I like that nickname. We don't hear that very often. Merciless. Merciless Mitchell McKee versus Tony Ortega. Ortega is five and four. That record alone just kind of makes you look like not great. Big underdog here at plus 425. He hails out of Nebraska. We got a Nebraska guy versus a Minnesota guy. Ortega is 29 years old, five foot seven in height. No reach number on him. Mitchell is also five foot seven. Reach number on him at 66 inches. He's out of Killcliffe FC, also known as Sanford May. So very good gym. We know that about McKee. Undefeated 2-0. He's a minus 600 favorite right now. Betting wise, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. You may end up wanting to like parlay it. Like, oh, you know, put it into the parlay. But what actual value are you getting out of minus 600 or minus 500 or minus 400? Any of those like minus big, big numbers. Mitchell McKee will win the fight. He'll move to 3-0. He's got very good pressure and pace. Another standout wrestler from Minnesota. So this guy has a nice wrestling background. Got the cauliflower ear going. Tony Ortega is also a good fighter though. He's pretty balanced. He will give a good fight. It's not going to be a fight where you're going to see Mitchell McKee just run through him early round one. Nonetheless, Mitchell McKee gets the win here. Again, from a betting perspective, 
what can we do? If you want to play Dogger Pass and put somebody on Antonio Ortega, I can't blame you. He is serviceable. He's a guy who's going to come in here and, and give a good fight, but he's five and four for a reason fighting regional competition. I think Mitchell McKee is set up here for success and gets the win. Moving on. Next up, we got Bailey Schoenfelder versus Mark Currier. This will be a very short and sweet breakdown. Number one, the money line is just about out of control. You got Bailey right now sitting around minus 1,000 to minus 1,200. He's a very good athlete, former Division I college football player at Minnesota. Again, Midwest guys. He's currently based out of South Dakota versus Mark Curry, who's based out of Iowa. I like all this. It's very good, the geographical you know, opponents. Nonetheless, Bailey is, again, former Division I athlete, football player, very quick, very fast, very fast for a heavyweight. You know, that, that's the thing about this guy. He's very fast, cat-like feet, undefeated 2-0, 24 years old in 10 months, about to 25. Now, for Mark Currier, here's a guy who goes by the jackhammer, and it's kind of a serviceable name for him because he, yeah, he's getting hammered, all right? He tends to get finished. Going back to even his amateur days, the guy tends to be a, a terrible nail, okay? So if you're hammering him, he's going down easy. I think Bailey Schoenfelder is going to break him in this fight and probably break him early. Somewhere between round one, I think round one, yes. I see Bailey Schoenfelder eating him up in round one and not being a very exciting fight. At minus 1,200, what can you do here? Like, you could say, well, maybe I'll parlay this with the last fight, you know, these minus 600. Nah, not worth it. Nothing's there. And you can't bet on Mark Courier because that's just throwing money out the window. If you could find a prop bet on Bailey Schoenfelder to win in round one, by TKO or by submission, like maybe include both just by any kind of inside the distance of round one. That would make sense to me. He's going to win the fight. Let's move on because he's going to win. That's the breakdown, guys. I like Bailey Schoenfelder, the former Minnesota golfer, to get the win. All right, moving up the car, we've got a featherweight bout at 145 pounds between Isaiah Hokit and Nick Perez. Isaiah Hokit, who goes with a Central Valley gangster. I got a story to tell you guys. Let me just sidetrack for a second. When I first saw this guy on the scene, this was back... Must have been last summer, almost a year ago. Matter of fact, let me pull up his tapology that'll tell me what I'm what I'm talking about because I'm referring to a specific fight that he had. Okay, so it was back in June of last year, so over a year ago. He fought Corey Samuels. It was his debut, Bellator 261, debut for Isaiah Hokit, former college wrestler. Not a college standout, not a guy who won like national championships, but an okay college wrestler with a, like a 500-level wrestler in college. And he was a minus, I don't know, let me look it up here. He was a huge favorite in this fight. I'll never forget this. He was minus 715. Yes. So he was a minus 715 favorite against Corey Samuels, who was like, I don't know, I think he was like 2-1 and one or something at the time. Not very impressive, but had a few fights. Had fought some mixed martial arts bouts. And I believe Corey Samuels, let me look it up, because now, now I'm on my tantrum here. If you just follow me for a second. Corey Samuels also had... Oh my God, that's right. Corey Samuels had a very lengthy amateur career, which included one win, and then he had one, two, three, four. My man had nine straight losses as an amateur. He won his last amateur fight, his 10th amateur fight, Corey Samuels, that is. Then he went pro, and he fought Isaiah Hokin. And he knocked his ass out in round one in 10 seconds. If you follow me here, I mean, think about this, okay? Isaiah Hokin, a guy got knocked out in 10 seconds as a minus 715 favorite against a guy who went one and nine in his amateur career. You're never gonna find me backing someone who has those type of numbers spinning around. Those are some terrible numbers. Isaiah Hokit may very well turn into a good serviceable mixed martial artist. That might happen. He did have a win in February this year. He had a rear naked choke win round one against Theodore Makuka. Theodore Makuka. Theodore Makuka is one and three. So he fought a can. And now they're giving him 
kind of another can. They want this kid to succeed. They want to see him stick around. They want to see him do well. So they're giving him a guy who's never fought before. <laughs> they're giving him a guy, Nick Perez. Does, does Nick Perez have any kind of background in mixed martial arts? Let's look at this guy. So he has an amateur career. One, two, three, four wins. Four wins, four losses, and a draw. You know, I'm not a math a guru here, but when you're going four and four and one as an amateur, probably not good. He lost two of his three last amateur bouts. He was finished twice as an amateur. <laughs> yeah, so Isaiah Hokett most likely wrestles Theodore Makuka to the ground and gets a win. But here's the but. If Nick, Nick Perez could just keep at distance for just a minute or so, land a few strikes, I know Isaiah Hokett has no chin. 10-second knockout loss. To a guy who can't win against anyone, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, buying, I'm not buying a stock on what's the website predictionstrike.com. I'm not buying stock on Isaiah Hokett, not doing it. So Isaiah Hokett wins the fight. Terrible betting line. You're not going to touch it. Right now Isaiah's sitting at minus 800, which reminds me of the end of the fight. All right, that's the breakdown, guys, for that fight. Let's move on. Next on the card is going to be a middleweight bout at 185 pounds between Jeff Souter and Patrick Downey. Jeff Souter is from Nebraska. Hail Nebraska. Don't know if you guys know or whoever's listening, but I went to the University of Nebraska. I was a former Cornhusker myself. So when I see the state of Nebraska, I'm always like giving love to my former people. Anyway, this fight's kind of weird. Okay. From the standpoint, number one, you have no experience here. Both guys, it's their MMA pro debut. They have some amateur experience, but no pro experience. Now, Patrick Downey is listed currently at minus 1,200 as a favorite. So clearly people know something that we don't know as the average casual fan, the average watcher of mixed martial arts. Downey, for some reason, is the gigantic favorite. He's got the look, the mullet, got some tattoos. On the flip side, Jeff Souter, he's got his own list of tattoos. A lot of, looks like uh, Asian scripture there, Chinese, not sure, Japanese, writing all over his chest. Has a pretty cool look too, but he's a plus 750 underdog. And I read some notes. I want to give my boy Kyle Miller some credit over there at Never Hedge Media. Awesome guys. Matter of fact, this video will be up on that website as well. So shout out to Never Hedge Media, Miller and company. So Kyle Miller did a write-up in this fight and a basic write-up about these two guys and what's going on here. And I have to agree with him. You're talking about they're setting up Satter for a tough fight. They know that Patrick Downey is the better overall fighter with better grappling experience. Downey probably wins. But let's talk about the betting perspective. I think it's worth a dog play here. They're both O and O. I mean, we don't know a lot. If if you had, let's say, for example, twenty fights to look at, and they were all listed this way on the main line, like minus twelve hundred, minus fifteen hundred, and they were all zero and zero fighters, wouldn't you find a handful of those guys that would actually get upset? That, that, that's my that's my thinking here. So I, I do think that Patrick Downey probably wins. They know something. The world of mixed martial arts knows something. Las Vegas knows something. <laughs> as to why he's so favored. And uh, I don't know what that is. I don't, I haven't watched some of these guys. Their amateur records are spotty. They're both zero and zero. They're both from the Midwest. So I guess Patrick Downey wins, but if I have to bet on it, I'm gonna have to take a sprinkle on Jeff Souter. Gotta do it because they have no experience and the, the value's on that side. So that's my thinking guys in that fight. That's the breakdown. If you guys know more about these two fighters, if maybe you know them personally somehow, you've trained with them, Put a long comment, write a book there. You can write a story in the comment section. I'll pin it to the top. Let's move on, guys. Next up's a light heavyweight bout at 205 pounds between Sullivan Cauley, who goes by Sully, versus Tyson Jeffries, who goes by the anti-hero. Like, anti-hero? I don't get what that is. Like, anti-hero? You should want to be the hero, Tyson. Tyson's 14 and 10, a guy who's basically just above 500. 
three to his last five fights. A big dog, though. Plus 475 in this matchup out of Huntington Beach, California. Six foot one, 73 and a half inch reach against Sullivan Colley, who's 3 and 0, undefeated prospect. So, right there gives you the subscript. What is Bellator trying to do here? They have a guy who's 3 and 0, undefeated against a guy who's 14 and 10. Who's most likely the person who's set up to win the fight? If you're writing the script, if you're Bellator, moving Sullivan Colley to 4 and 0 would be better for them, more valuable for their brand, their employee, their prospect. If Tyson Jeffries falls to 14 and 11 or moves to 15 and 10, like, you know, what does that do? <laughs> the world doesn't shift. So for Cully's out of Arizona, 26 years old, six foot three, have a two inch height advantage, 74 and a half in reach, reach, a one inch reach advantage. And he's based out of what gym? I don't know. This fight's very simple, guys. You're talking about a fighter in Sullivan Cully who is set up to win. I do believe as well, just checking my notes here, didn't the other fighter, Tyson Jeffries, actually move up in weight class? Just double checking here. Yeah, right. So Tyson Jeffries moved up from welterweight to light heavyweight for this fight. That's not good for him. <laughs> He's already a 5 level fighter, now moving up a weight class. Kali's a natural finisher. I would look at hammering into the distance for Kali. Kali is a finisher naturally, and you got a guy in Tyson Jeffries who's basically his, going to be his victim. Don't parlay this stuff, guys. There's just no value. Even though I like Kali a lot here, it's just, yeah, play the inside the distance prop. So let's, go, let's move on. Next up, we have a women's bout. Flyweight division, 125 pounders between Deanna Bennett, who goes by Vitamin D. Um, yeah, we'll leave that one there and just shelve that. <laughs> Versus Justine Kish. Now, Kish is 8-5 overall, 2-3 in her last five fights, a dog here at plus 195. She's Russian. Now, her last name, Kish, doesn't sound like Kishnikov or Kishnikova, but Justine Kish is Russian. She's now based out of California, 34 years old. 5-5 five five in height with a 64 and a half inch reach, and she trains out of Jim O. Deanna Bennett, vitamin D, 12-7-1. Not an impressive record. Deanna Bennett is two or three to last five fights, a minus 240 favorite, a very big favorite in this spot. I mean, that's pretty chalky for a person with that kind of record. She's out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 37 years old, four months away from turning 38. She's at the tail end of her career, 5'4", with a 66-inch reach. So she'll have the reach advantage, but she gives up one inch in height, which I, I think, I, if, if memory serves me correctly, aren't they the same height or maybe Deanna Bennett even taller? The votes and tap odds are coming in the side of Bennett, 81% for Bennett, 19% for Kish. Let's not make this difficult. You see, they fought before, and they didn't fight like 10 years ago. They, they fought pretty recently. They fought two fights ago in the case of Justin Kish. Now, Kish picked up a win in between that time, and that was an impressive win because I'll talk about that in a second. But for Deanna Bennett, the last time that she fought was in February this year, and she fought against Justine Kish, and she got a win by decision. Justine Kish, she's fought good fighters. She lost to Liz Carmouche in Bellator 246. She lost to Miranda Maverick in Invicta three years ago. And Justin Kish will grapple you, will take you down, will take top control. I believe Justin Kish has a weak chin. Like, she won't get knocked out, but she will get knocked out. You could knock her down easily. And look at her tapology. She's two and five in her last seven fights. And that includes the last fight that she got a win against Lima Lee McFarlane. A fight where I was so convinced that was Bellator 279 that was being held in Hawaii. And Lima Lee McFarlane is from fucking Hawaii. I'm like, that's a easy one right there. I had her in some parlays. I'm like, that's light work, right? No. Kish comes up in there and gets a win. So Kish can be resilient at times. And she does lose, but doesn't get finished. So two and five in her last seven fights, close losses. Well, she got finished one time. I'm sorry, by Sabina Mazo. Correction. Sabina Mazo finished her 2020. I mean, oh my gosh. Sabina Mazo. A girl who came to the UFC for 10 minutes and then lost her contract. So I'm on Deanna Bennett to win the fight. 
it makes perfect sense. I'm going to bet it in a parlay or two. I don't think I want to get invested too much on a straight up bet where I'm putting like a, a unit or 50 bucks or anything like that on just one fighter to win. The best bet here is probably the fight goes distance. Look at their tapologies. These fighters go the distance very often. In their prior fight, they went to decision. So find that property becomes available and that's probably your best bet. It's women's MMA. But I ain't scared. I ain't scared. I like women's MMA and I'm going to choose Deanna Bennett to win the fight again. That's your breakdown. All right, so last fight in the prelim card, or the featured fight for the prelim card, is a bantamweight bout at 135 pounds between Joshua Hill, who goes by the gentleman, versus Marcos Breno. Mr. Breno is 14-2 overall, currently 4-1 in his last five fights. A dog here, plus 155, but he opened around plus 180 to plus 190 in some books, so he's kind of come back down. You do like that if you're on the side of Breno and you got him early because the numbers have come down you've got some value there. So Mr. Brito is from Sao Paulo, Brazil, 24 years old in 10 months, about to be 25, very young. Matter of fact, over 10 years younger than Mr. Hill because Mr. Hill is 35 years old in eight months. So uh, yeah, about 11 years younger. And I think that is a factor. I do like Josh Hill at 21 and four, 21, excuse me, and four, has a good amount of mixed martial arts experience, but we're just talking about the reality. How many more fights can he have in his career? How much longer can he do this? Hasn't taken a bunch of damage, I'm not suggesting that. But uh, we're back against it. Mother Nature, or Father Time, whatever you call it, is, is a calling. As for Marcos Breno, he's five foot five, no reach number on him, out of the Amazon school. That's the name of the gym, Amazon school. I thought that was pretty interesting because we think of Amazon now as the company and whatever, but Amazon, like the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> anyway, as for the gentleman, Mr. Joshua Hill, 21 and four overall, four one in his last five fights, was a big favorite here. I'm like minus 225. Now he's moved down to more reasonable number at minus 180. If you were patient, you allowed the market to adjust. You're happy about that. He is from Canada, from Stony Creek, Ontario, to be exact. Shout out to all my brothers north of the border. 35 years old for Josh Hill. We mentioned before, 11 years older than his opponent. He's five foot six in height with a 66 and a half inch reach. He trains out of House of Champions MMA and also Jocelyn's MMA. I'm gonna repeat, I like Josh Hill here. I like him in this spot. I like him to win the fight by decision. Currently, the public agrees with me. On Tapology, 87% of the votes coming in for Mr. Hill, only 13% for Breno. I did that math really quickly without even looking. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, I like Josh Hill. If you look back at his record, the thing that pops out to me that I like, he's got some Bellator experience. Matter of fact, he's one, two, three. He's three and one in his last four fights, which included all four fights being in Bellator. He wasn't the ultimate fighter though, season 18. Look at that. So season 18, he beat Patty Holohan, 2013, that was a long time ago. And then 2013, same season, he lost to Mike Wooten. But that's way back, almost nine years ago. Other than that, fought in TKO, fight night, and then the recent run in Bellator where he has wins over Eric Perez, Vinicius Zani, Jared Skogans, and a loss by decision to Rafian Stotts. That is aging very well because Mr. Stotts is on a hell of a run right now, doing very well. And I believe isn't Rafian Stotts the title holder? So for Joshua Hill, if you're not watching film and just looking at tapology, the one thing you could check mark is he's had some good competition. Marcos Breno, 14-2. He last fought in July of last year. He beat a guy in LFA. You'd like to see that. Ari Farias, not a guy that I know very well. Part of that, he fought in CDL. He fought in Aris, A-R-E-S-F-C. Good promotion. He lost by decision to Taylor Lapillus. Prior to that, it's stuff that I don't recognize. Not going to lie to you. So this is a blind spot for me. I don't recognize this fighter. I didn't do film study. I will acknowledge that at the age of 25, much younger, he has the X factor advantage. He's coming in here much younger. He's making big improvements. Size-wise, we don't know what we're dealing with, right? Because we're missing some of the factors. We know that they're both around 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, but does Marco Breno have much longer arms or is it the same? Will Josh Hill start showing signs of aging? 
but he has more mixed martial arts experience. You don't go 21 and 4. I mean, that's a high winning percentage unless you know what you're doing. At minus 225 when he first opened, way too chalky. Now you got him at like minus 180-ish. I'm going to play him as a parlay piece. It won't be a serious parlay piece. It'll be up there. If you want to track our bets, you know how to do that. But uh, just a reminder, it's available on betmma.tips. We also put it out on Twitter. I like Josh Hill here. I want to know what you guys think. If you guys done more film study in this fight or you've done some research or maybe you know Josh Hill, I am surprised at how many users come onto the channel and will leave comments that are extremely valuable. I've had people say things like, I know this guy because whatever, X, Y, Z. One guy said two weeks ago that he did some sparring with one guy who was a lower level fight in the PFL, a fight that I, I didn't have full knowledge of what's going on. And the guy was right. So if you know something, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing the PSA public service announcement for New York City when they say like, if you know something, say something. If you see something, say something. I'm doing that. If you know something about Josh Hill, if you know something about Marcos, say something, <laughs> bring it up, put it in the comment section. For now, I like Josh Hill. I like him as a parlay piece. Let's move on. Moving up, we've got a middleweight bout at 185 pounds between Austin Vanderford, who goes by the gentleman. Is that another gentleman? Didn't we just have the gentleman? So we have another gentleman. He's up against Aaron Jeffrey. Who does not have a moniker listed here or nickname on Tapology, But Aaron Jeffrey, if you don't know about him, we'll talk about him. He's got an interesting background, very good fighter. My big red flag for this fight is he is a replacement. Now he's not a last minute replacement, but he is a replacement. Whenever you're a replacement fighter, there's some indicative or inherent, I'm sorry, dangers, right? Whether it's short in camp, lack of recovery time from prior fight. Heck, maybe you just weren't in the diet mode yet and you were in relaxation mode and weren't expecting to jump into a fight. All those different things become factors. And for Aaron Jeffrey, up against a guy like Austin Vanderford, who's no cupcake, even if you had a full camp, you have to be concerned. I'll say right now, though, out the gate, I'm actually on Aaron Jeffrey, guys. Um, even though I've talked about those factors, he's an underdog here. I do like Aaron Jeffries. I think the fighter experience, who he's fought against, that to me is one big factor. And for Austin Vanderford, he's very talented, but there's definitely some chinks in the armor. And in recent fights, I noticed that. Let's talk here about Austin Vanderford. He's 11-1 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. Out of Portland, Oregon, the American fighter, 32 years old, 5-11 in high with a 74-inch reach. As for Aaron Jeffrey, 12-3 overall, so similar amount of fighting experience in terms of the amount of fights in the cage. Jeffrey is 4-1 in his last five fights. A dog here, as we mentioned before, he's out of Niagara Falls, Ontario, 29 years old, 6-2 in height with a 73.5-inch reach. So height-wise, about 3 inches there for Aaron Jeffrey, and reach-wise, a half-inch reach advantage for Austin Vanderford. After the gyms that Aaron Jeffrey has trained out of, he's trained out of a handful of gyms, but the primary one is Niagara Top Team. Numbers on Tapology are coming in the side of Vander, Vanderford, excuse me, 73% to be exact, only 27% coming in for Jeffrey. I mean, I get it. I like, you know, Vanderford overall, good fighter, um, has some nice wins. His last fight was a loss against Gagar Musasi, a round one KO loss. It looked ugly in that moment. That was back in February of this year. He's had enough time to recover. It wasn't like he took a four-round, five-round beating and then, you know, got all bloodied up. He got caught early in the fight. It's what it is. He's had enough time now. That was five, six, six months ago. That's a good amount of time to recover if he did have some kind of some concussion or whatever else. And Gagar Musasi, who recently lost his belt in his next fight, is just one of the best that ever did it. So it's not the worst loss. Round one KO, minute 25 seconds, that, you know, that's not great. But I think what we saw there is when you put a guy like Austin Vanderford against elite level competition, because he hasn't really fought elite guys. He's got wins over guys like Fabian Edwards, Vinicius de Jesus, some grappling matches. I do like that. But then you start looking back at the topology. You don't recognize any names there. He had a nice amateur record, 4-0. I'm talking about Austin Vanderford, that is. 
got a nice start to his pro career. And in, even in Bellator, he's got a good record in Bellator. I mean, he's been undefeated in Bellator until he had the loss against Gagar Musasi. But I think that's what happens here, right? You have a guy who's fighting all the okay guys. Next thing you know, he gets in there with a, a very good fighter. He has a problem. And I think that's what we have here. I think Aaron Jeffrey is a very good fighter. I'm not saying Aaron Jeffrey is Gagar Musasi, but, you know, looking at his topology, there's reasons to be like, hey, look, the, the, how about the decision loss to Chai or Cow or Chayo Baralo? I watched that fight. That was when I first started really getting more into the NYK tennis series. That was in 2021, last year, last September. He lost by decision, and Barallo is a very good fighter. That gives you an idea of where Jeffrey is at. Now, after that, Jeffrey won his fight against Rex Harris by decision. He won his last fight over Fabio Aguiar, round two, knees. That fight was on the 24th of June. That is, again, what my concern was about Aaron Jeffrey. If the fight ended on the 24th of June in round two, he's had literally a month and, you know, maybe six weeks, a full camp to both recover, you know, wind down, wind back up, weight cut, that kind of turnaround, I should probably start cataloging it. But there's been fighters recently who've tried this and it, you know, Curtis, right? Chris Curtis, is it? Wants to fight all the time, very, you know, active. It doesn't work. You need time to, to, to decompress. You need time to allow the swelling to go down in your body. I'm trying to compare it to other sports. Like it's like a football player trying to play, you know, too close to back-to-back -to -back games. Then the learning, the learning parts process also gets completely quashed. Like when you don't take time to recover, heal, learn, and study. So from that standpoint, I don't love that about Jeffrey. At the same time, Jeffrey is not, you know, he's not a baby. He's 29 years old, about to be 30 years old. Been doing it for a while. I think Aaron Jeffrey's strength of schedule is significant. I think he comes in here and knocks out Austin Vanderford. Vanderford showed a chink in the armor versus Gagar Musasi. I think Aaron Jeffrey is like a, just a notch below where Gagar Musasi is. I think Austin Vanderford is two notches below where Gagar Musasi is and one notch below Aaron Jeffrey. Look at that. That was some brilliant little notching I just did. All right, guys, let me wrap this up and say that I like Aaron Jeffrey to win the fight at plus money. Let me just double check right now what it's listed at because this one also moved around a little bit. He's at plus 160. Yeah, you know, I think the Vanderford people, it's over, you know. I mean, I get it, I get it. Don't forget, this fight's also being held in South Dakota. It's not being held, like sometimes Bellator has events over, you know, across the pond. This is being held Midwest. I don't see either fighter having an advantage, I don't think. I mean, Vanderford is American. Aaron Jeffries is Canadian. Sioux Falls is kind of like Canada, <laughs> if you know what I mean by that. Anyway, I like uh, Aaron Jeffrey here. I like him as a dog spot. I'm not sure how I'm going to play him. And uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm at, guys. In terms of the props, I would look at the fight possibly not going the distance, but going over a round and a half. And then, of course, looking at some kind of finish by, by Jeffrey. So let's move on. Next up's a heavyweight bout, 265 pounds between Saeed Sauma and Gokan Sarakam. I'm probably killing his last name. I'm just going to call him Gokan. So Gokan is 7-1 overall. He hails from Turkey, 4-1 his last five fights. He's from Istanbul, Turkey. We all know that city. That's the capital city, I believe, of Turkey. 31 years old, 6-3 in height with a 76-inch reach. He's up against Sed Sama, who is 8-3 overall. About the same amount of experience. He's 3-2 in his last five fights. A slight dog here. Plus, depends upon what book you have, right? Right now, I'm on DraftKings. You've got Sarakam at minus 175. You've got Sed Sama sitting at plus 150. So... It's not far off of a pick -em. and I think if you break this down, look at this fight closely, you find yourself kind of splitting hairs. There's a lot of similarities between these two fighters. They're both very young, a lot of upside. I do like Gokin to win this fight. I'm going to tell you right now before I get too much more into this breakdown. I think he has the tools, and I also doubt 
Saeed Salma's urgency, his sense of urgency sometimes is just not there. So as for Saeed Salma, 8-3, and three, as we mentioned before, 3-2 in his last five fights. Slight dog here out of Coconut Creek, Florida, training out of, you guessed it, ATT. That's a nice part of his you know, profile. You like that. and uh, But sometimes that's not enough. You know those guys who train at top gyms, and you know it's rubbing off of them. It's helping them. I'm going to compare it to like Kamzat, right? Kamzat Shemaev trains with, uh, it was Darren, Darren, not Darren Till. Is it Darren Till? The guy who was always hanging out with him, his, you know, his butt buddy. I mean that with all just joking aside. But the point is, you, you hope that the Kamzat greatness will rub off on this guy, you know, but uh, it doesn't always work out that way. And for Said, Said Salma, I feel like he's one of those guys who falls into that category. You know, he's around greatness. Anyone who's in that gym is around greatness. But ugh, you know, is he great? At 30 years old, you know, he's still got a lot of time. He's still a young prospect. He's six feet in height, 76 inch reach. Both guys have a 76 inch reach. Gokin is six foot three. So Gokin would be about three inches taller. But you know, I don't believe that. When you watch them on film, I think Gokin is maybe an inch and a half taller than Saeed. I don't think he's three inches taller than him. But these tapology numbers can be a little bit funny. Now looking at the profiles on tapology, I see the votes coming in on the side of Sarakam. So Sarakam's getting 58% of the votes, 43% of the votes coming in for Salma. It makes sense. I like Salcom to win. And of course the public goes in line with the money line. Money line's got him at minus 175, right? To minus 150. Has it changed again? Let me double check. Minus 180. Yeah, I like Gokim. I, now, if you're looking back at tapology, looking at some recent fights, I recall the fight with Davion Franklin versus Saeed Salma. Not a good look because Saeed Salma was a minus 190 favorite in that spot. And most people felt pretty, pretty comfortable with him. They were parlaying him. Davion Franklin, you see, it was more about fading Davion Franklin. That's really what it came down to. It was Davion Franklin, who is five and one right now, who's coming off a loss against Marcelo Gome, has showed severe issues with cardio. I mean, just not very good. The fight goes to the full distance, and then he ends up winning the fight and beating Said Sayama by a split decision. Those are the worst, right? You know, you got your money on somebody, goes a decision, wasn't a clear winner loss. And so Said Sayama comes up short there. And to me, it revealed a lot. He's two and two in his last four fights with losses against Tyrell Fortune and Davion Franklin. The Tyrell Fortune loss, you can excuse it. Heavy wrestler, got taken advantage of there. Davion Franklin, I cannot give him a pass for losing fights to guys like that. So I have a lot of question marks about what kind of fighter Salma is. I think he's the kind of guy, honestly, if I could tell you, he's got the potential, he's got the tools, he's not meeting his potential. That's the best way I can describe him. Now, as for Gokim Sarakam from Turkey, who's 7-1 overall, he had a loss against Steve Mowry. That was in 2019. Isn't Mowry fighting on this card as well? He is fighting on this card. We're going to talk about him a little bit later on. But uh, Mowry is 10-0, undefeated. So not the worst loss. It was a round two Kimura loss. I watched that fight. Now imagine, when you lose by Kimura, most of the time, you're in top position. That becomes a matter of like a, a mistake, a strategic mistake. He's on top of the guy, doesn't have responsibility for his arm. And Steve Mowry, the guy's got some Kimura wins. Matter of fact, I'll get to him in a second later on, but he has a Kimura win last year against Rakeem Cleveland. He has a Kimura win against Gokim. He, has a, he had two back-to-back Kimura wins. The fight before uh, Gokim, he beat a guy by Kimura. So he likes that move. <laughs> okay, He's got several submissions throughout his career. He goes for it. And if you're on top of him not paying attention, like Gokim was, he gets scooped up. Other fights that Gokum fought in Bellator, he beat Sidlinikov. I never heard of this guy before. Charles Milner, we know of him. And before that, he went to Bellator Euro Series 9. He beat Jofi Holton. I'm not going to lie. Nobody in his topology do I recognize besides Steve Mowry. I thought he did a good job in round one of that fight. Round two gets finished. I like Gokum in this matchup because I have so many doubts about Said Sama. We're probably better off not investing in this fight. If you know something I don't know, put it in the comment section. 
I feel like if you're betting on guys like Salma, your bankroll is going to suffer over the course of, of a long haul because he is such a question mark of a fighter. Flip side, Gokim Sarakam hasn't really fought anybody besides Maori, and he lost that fight. You know, So I can argue both sides here all day back and forth. Maybe a pass. If I have to have some action, I'm going to go with Gokim. I'm choosing him to win the fight. That's your breakdown, boys and girls. Let's move on to the next one. All right, up to the one and only women's bout we have on the main card. It's a flyweight bout at 125 pounds between Lima Lee McFarlane and Bruna Ellen. Before I get into this breakdown, I got to get this off my chest. Lima Lee McFarlane, she fought a while back in Bellator earlier this year. It was in Hawaii. <laughs> okay, it was in Hawaii. She is Hawaiian. You can see her profile picture there on Tapology with the flower in her ear. She looks Hawaiian. I had her in some parlays that weekend, and I have not been good in betting on Bellator. I do want to say that. So full disclosure, Bellator has been not good for me. <laughs> the results show on our tap our betma.tips profile. We can't hide from the results. It's been it's been some bad breaks for us. We've had some big favorites. People like minus five hundred just fall apart on us. Lima Lee McFarlane was a big favorite. She was up against Justine Kish, and if you know anything about Justine Kish, she can spoil shit for you. I mean, she's not a very talented fighter. I thought for sure McFarlane should win that fight. No doubt about it. And she up and loses the fight. So you're not going to find me anytime now, tomorrow, next week, getting behind McFarlane, even if she's by far the better fighter. I'm talking like even if the first person she's fighting is 0-5, she could fight anyone. I'm not getting behind her because what I saw in that fight, this is just my honest opinion, I saw a fighter who was willing to fight down to the competition, who was willing to basically let a fight go in front of her home crowd. I mean, think about that. Her home crowd fighting in Hawaii, a Bellator event in Hawaii. How many more times will Bellator go back to Hawaii for the rest of her career? All right, so as for the details on these two fighters, for Lima McFarlane, she's 11-2 and two overall, 3-2 and two in her last five fights. Slight favor here. Now she's down to minus 135, actually. So it's moved down almost to a pick and price, and it makes sense. You're going to have buyer's remorse if you invest in Lima Lee McFarlane. She's had some good moments, had some better days, that last fight, I may never forget that fight. That was really rough to watch. Anyway, so for McFarlane, slight favorite, minus 140 out of San Diego, California, 32 years old, San Diego via Hawaii, five foot four, 66 inch reach. So a one inch height advantage there for McFarlane. Reach wise, we don't have a reach number on Bruna Ellen, but I don't think her arms are very long. So I'm gonna imagine that McFarlane will have a two, three inch reach advantage. And for McFarlane, for McFarlane, excuse me, she trains out of Team Hurricane Awesome. As for Bruna Ellen, she's 6-3 and three overall, 3-2 three in her last five fights. A dog here out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, 26 years old. She's from Nova Garacao, Muay Thai. I butchered that name. I apologize. All right, looking down at the votes on Tapology. What is the public saying here? Who do they like? Oh, McFarlane is getting 91% of the votes on Tapology. That's hilarious. So with 607 votes in on Tapology, 91% of the votes are coming in for McFarlane. That's a joke. Only 9% coming in for Ellen. I'm telling you, if McFarlane was fighting... Hasbola. <laughs> you know, I still would choose Hasbola because if you watch that Justine fight, I'm telling you, it will burn it'll burn a hole in your head. It leaves you asking yourself questions. Like I'm gonna give an example of some questions. If you watch Dana Micah Tennis series the other night and you watch this heavyweight guy, right? Polis or Poulis, whatever his name is, Dana White ends up giving him someone of a get a contract of some kind, like a pity contract. But in the actual, actual cage when the fight was going on, the dude had no interest in actually winning the fight. Like, talking shit, little jabby-jabby. Like, you're a heavyweight dude. Go finish the fight. I personally, this is just me, my little, my little, like, I, my little pet peeve. It bugs me when a fighter doesn't have a sense of urgency, when they don't have a sense of, I need to try to win the fight. That is hard for me to digest. From a betting perspective, it's, it's almost like having an aneurysm. Will McFarlane, she's up for the candidate for, like, the, the fighter of the year that would do that to you. That last fight was just hard to watch. 
And not to mention, she is 0-2 in her last two fights. She lost to Juliana Velasquez in 2020, then took a grappling bout in 2021 against Jessica I, won that, and then lost to Justine Kish by decision in April in front of her hometown. I cannot get behind her. I'm not going to get on to why I like Bruna Ellen because I don't. <laughs> Bruna Ellen has got very little experience. She's a smaller fighter. She hasn't fought anybody of notable quality. She's 6-3. and three. Uh, She's fought in Bellator a few times, but she's pretty much got like a 500 record in Bellator. Her biggest win is probably her last win, Desiree Yanez, who, oh my God, you look at that, that opponent. Not a good opponent, not to mention it was a split decision win. So yeah, the, the math will tell you that McFarlane should win. Like if someone put a gun to my head and said, who's going to win the fight? But God, I got to choose McFarlane. I got to take her. So I'm going to take her. I'm going to take her, guys. I'm going to choose McFarlane to win the fight. I'll probably look at a prop. Fight starts around three, over two and a half. One of the two fighters by decision. This is not one of those situations where I'm like, it's a women's fight. I, I can't, I don't know. I'm crying. I can't do it. No, I, I just, this one fighter here, McFarlane, has burned me recently. And it wasn't like she burned me because the judges gave her a bad score or because a fluke injury. No, she just did not want to fight in front of her home crowd. All right, I said enough. Let's move on. All right, co-main event, heavyweight bout. 265 pounders valentin moldovsky from russia versus steve maori from boca raton florida the american is undefeated at 10-0 a slight dog here though currently sitting at let me look it up it's been changing moving around on me got steve maori at plus 160 and you got valentin moldovsky at minus 190 so it hasn't moved around as much as i thought moldovsky opened i think around minus 210 to minus 200 makes sense the russian fighter the last name russians have been dominating mixed martial arts the last few years Brazilians and Russians, you can see them on the on the fight card and think, you know, get the little extra nudge, right? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, caution, pump the brakes. If I could put the alarm bells on right now, I'd put the alarm bells on. Valentin Moldovsky, last fight losing against Ryan Bader was a tough one for me to forget about. We'll talk more about it in a second. So the basic information of these two fighters, Moldovsky is 11-2 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. I mentioned minus 190 favorite out of Russia, 30 years old, 6'1 in height. That is interesting. He's 6'1". Steve Maury is like a basketball player, six foot eight. And he is very tall. Like, I'm not sure if he's six, eight, maybe he's like six, seven and a half or something. Like, at that point, what's the damn difference? But he's he's very tall. Moldovsky's 75 inch reach is not so bad compared to the 79 inch reach of Steve Mowry. So only giving up four inches in reach. And for Valentin Moldovsky, he trains out of Alexander Nevsky, which I believe is like a very well-known gym because Nevsky's a former fighter, well-known like combat dude. For Mowry, undefeated, training out of Hard Knocks 365, 30 years old, out of Florida, slight dog here, undefeated, 79-inch reach, 6'8 in height. This dude could play football. He would play power forward in the NBA, right? Maybe, nah, I mean, not power forward, small forward, right? These guys are so tall now. As for the votes on Tapology, Moldovsky getting 43% and Maori 57%. So here's interesting now. So of the 614 votes on Tapology, it appears that the people are with me. They're saying that Maori is the one they like. Now, it's not a big margin. It's almost down the middle. So the money line has Moldovsky, but the public is on Maori. I like Maori too. I, I'm not saying I think Maori comes in here and dominates Valentin Moldovsky. I have questions about Moldovsky's desire to win fights. When you lose fights in 2022 against Ryan Darth Vader, a guy who is not a bad fighter. I'm not trying to rank on Darth Vader. All right, he's a pretty good fighter. Former what Division One National Championship wrestler, Arizona State. Has a 30-7 and seven record, Ryan Bader, that is. But look back at Ryan Bader's, like, last few years, and you see, like, against, you know, Vadim Nemko, round two TKO loss. Corey Anderson, round one KO loss. Now against Moldovsky, decision win. Against Congo, decision win. Against Leo Machida, decision win. You know, like, he's going to squeak out wins against these guys who don't pressure him. 
When you go way back, though, in Ryan Bader's, you know, go back to UFC days and stuff, he's got some quality wins. He beat guys like Rashad Evans. He's fought guys like Anthony Johnson. That's all there for real credentials. Like, there's nothing fake about Ryan Bader's credentials. But I'm talking right now, 2022, Valentin Moldovsky losing to him. And look, maybe I'm a little biased because I had some money that night on Moldovsky. <laughs> That's one of those bets where I was betting against Bader more than I was betting for, you know, Moldovsky. But I'm just telling you guys, that's very recent. That wasn't a long time ago. That was just in January of this year. It's his first fight now from after that fight, and I have questions about his desire to win. As for Steve Mowry at 10-0, the record looks good, but, man, the competition has not been good. His last fight against Rakeem Cleveland, let me look where he was standing on that fight. He was a big favorite, right? He was a minus 700 favorite. See what I'm saying? That was his last mixed martial arts fight, which was... About a year ago, actually a year and a few months ago. So it's been a little bit of a white layoff. He did have a grappling bout in December of last year that he lost to Nick Rodriguez. His prior opponent, Sean Asher, he fought him in April of last year. Sean Asher, in that fight, he was a minus 950 favorite. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? They're giving him fights thus far in the UFC that he's very favored to win. His prior opponent, Sean Teed. So Steve Murray versus Sean Teed, which was in 2020, October. And that fight, Steve Meyer was a minus 310 favorite. So he's been in the range of anywhere from minus 300. So like almost minus 700 in his last three fights. Now he comes in against a guy who is slipping and you've got him at dog money. I don't see that, for example, let me tell you this. I don't see that Valentin Moldovsky will come in here and finish Maori. He also lacks that gene, like the killer instinct gene. Look at the tapology for Valentin Moldovsky. His last one, two, three, four, five fights have all gone a decision. Four of those by victory, one by the loss to Bader. The guy doesn't have that gene, man. He's not trying to go out there and finish somebody. He's not, the, he's not like Terrence McKinney. He's not trying to win fights that way. He's a points fighter, you see. He's a points fighter. And I ain't getting behind a guy who's a points fighter because all he needs is a guy in front of him who says, fuck it, I want to fight you. I want to win this fight, and I want it now. And pushes the pace. In the case of Ryan Bader, he didn't. Ryan Bader's not even that type of guy. He's not about that life. Ryan Bader's like, I'm trying to hang on to the last few years of my career. I'm going to wrestle you. Keep it safe. Not too many, not too much boxing or kicking. See, I'm selling stock on Moldowski right now. <laughs> I'm selling stock on him. I'm buying stock on Steve Mowry. I like Steve Mowry here. Betting-wise, I may not have the cojones to back him up the way that I'm talking right now. From a betting perspective, I like the plus money. No question. I love that. I can't parlay it because I don't have that level of ludicrous confidence in this fight. But I'm going to take a stab at Steve Mowry. Probably around 50 bucks straight up on him just to have some action. Leave some comments. Give me your feedback. That's the breakdown, guys. Let's move on. And we're up to the main event, a welterweight bout between Neiman Gracie, one of the Gracie family members. That is a name that's notorious all throughout mixed martial arts. I do wonder, though, as we head into the third maybe generation of mixed martial arts fans, I think first generation would have been the like the first days when it was like, you know, people were different weight classes. It was completely no holes bar. Then somewhere in like the late 90s, early 2000s, you saw UFC start to grow. Now we're like at the third generation. I feel like the Gracie name will soon become, you know, like a, a name of, of yesteryear. Now, the name still lives. And that's why, like, you see Neiman Gracie as a favorite in this fight. And I couldn't help but think that the main line is kind of being impacted by the fact that it's a Gracie family member. And one of the better Gracies, because there's a bunch of Gracies out there. There's different Gracie gyms, and there's cousins, and you know, uncles, and bunches of different Gracies out there. And obviously, the quality of each Gracie is a bit different. Same, same, but different. And they're all known for what? They're known for their jiu-jitsu. They're amazing jiu-jitsu. And it's legit. The original Gracie brothers who came over from Brazil and you know really impacted the scene. I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second. But they were known for how a smaller guy can use jiu-jitsu 
and submission tactics to basically subdue or submit a much bigger guy who was like, you know, all bigger than them. And that became a big, you know, influx of that jiu-jitsu. As for this fight, Gracie is the favorite. He's 11-3 and overall, 2-3 and in his last five fights. He's hailing out of New York City now. So based out of New York City, where he trains out of Renzo Gracie Academy. 33 years old, 6 foot high with a 74-inch reach. So height-wise, a little advantage there for Neiman Gracie. Reach-wise, about the same. For Goyoti Yamauchi, 27-5 and overall. This is notable, y'all. This is notable. 27-5. and 32 total matches, mixed martial arts, compared to 14 for Neiman Gracie. Yes, Gracie's fought a ton of, of grappling bouts. I get that. But we're talking about mixed martial arts. We can't get it twisted. When it comes to mixed martial arts, Yamauchi has much more experience, has many more fights. But he's a dog here, sitting at around plus 140, plus 150. And Gayuti, Yamauchi, he obviously has a Japanese last name, but he is based out of Brazil, out of Curitiba, Brazil. 29 years old. It's so about four years younger. Age is not a factor for me in this fight, but he's five foot ten, about two inches shorter, seventy-four inch reach, same reach, and he's out of Yamauchi team. The votes and tapology are coming in for Yamauchi. So same thing as the prior fight we talked about, where we got the votes coming in on the side of Yamauchi, yet the money line is flipped the other way on the side of Gracie. I suspect people betting on Gracie are simply betting on, you know, the allure, the name. Neiman Gracie's a good fighter, but take a gander at the tapology. The guy's two and three in his last five fights for a reason. And he's fought some good guys. Don't get me wrong. Roy McDonald, pretty good fighter. He's slipping right now, but that was about three years ago. That, the best of Roy McDonald. He lost the fight by decision. Jason Jackson last year, by decision. Logan Storley, uh, these are good fighters. Logan Storley's a very good fighter. By decision, er, lost him earlier this year. The wins were against Mark Leminger, round one, TKO. That was impressive. John Fitch, round two, TKO. Prior to that, it's like, who did he fight? Hasn't fought anybody. He's been in Bellator more or less his entire career. He went pro 2013. So he's been a pro mixed martial artist for about nine years. That's for Gracie. And in that period of time, has notched up 14 total matches. Not the busiest of fighters. And a lot of question marks there about how valid of a mixed martial artist is he. I think he's valid on the ground, no question. Jiu-Jitsu skills are there. And he has some KO power. You know, you can't ignore the fact that he's got some finishes recently by KO. But you're talking about a guy in Yamauchi who, this guy's much busier. He's got some nice wins recently. I thought the win over Levon Kelly, his last fight, arm bar round one. That was brilliant. I like that. I like LaVonja Kelly in that fight. I thought LaVonja Kelly had a chance to win, but it didn't work out that way. He had to win over Chris Gonzalez. That was last year, 2021. That was in uh, a TKO victory over Chris Gonzalez. Then had a loss by split decision to Dan Moret. But Dan Moret, if my memory serves me correctly, didn't Dan Moret have a brief little moment in the UFC? I believe he did. He did. Former LFA fighter, UAE fighter, Bellator fighter. Not on a great stretch recently. So Dan Moret, you know, Beating Yamauchi in that spot, from one side of it, Yamauchi could say, well, it's a former UFC fighter. Other side of it, it's like, well, Dan Moret's been a bit of a shell of himself, <laughs> you know. So when it comes to recent fighters, you know, you can go way back, Yamauchi's tapology and say, well, he fought Michael Chandler, lost by decision. That was back in Bellator. He's fought some good guys. Lost to Bubba Jenkins. I think that you're talking about a guy who's got just more mixed martial arts experience. If we're not just talking about names. Don't forget about the name. Take the name away from Neiman Grease. Take the head away from both fighters. A lot more experience on one side, a lot more activity, a lot more balanced of a fighter. On the feet, Yamauchi will have a striking advantage on the feet. On the ground, of course, Gracie will have an advantage in the grappling. Experience-wise, I give the edge to Yamauchi. IQ, cardio, these guys are about the same. Finishing ability, about the same. So it's like splitting hairs, but the money line should be the other way. Neiman Gracie should be the slight dog here. 
So I'm, I'm letting you guys know this money line is strictly because of the name Gracie. I like Yamauchi to win the fight. I wouldn't be sad if Gracie won. Betting-wise, I'll have very little exposure here. I think the fight should be close. I can see either guy coming away with a victory. But the numbers suggest, just from looking at the numbers, not looking at any film or doing any film study, the numbers suggest that we have a fight being won by Yamauchi. Now, there's a prop that I like a lot in this fight. This is the one thing I will bet for this fight. The fight not going to decision. And here's the reason why. Look at Yamauchi's recent fights. So his last one, two, three, four, his last four wins in a row. Armbar, rear naked choke, TKO, armbar. Last four wins, okay? For Neiman Gracie, look at his last few wins. His last win was against Mark Leminger, round one TKO. Prior win, John Fitch, round two, left hook TKO. Prior wins, rear naked choke, arm triangle, neck crank, rear naked choke, arm bar. Yeah, so all that in order. The combined last like 12, 13 fights between these two guys that they've won have been by finish. So right now you got minus 160 for the fight not going to decision. It's the main event, five rounds. That's a long time for two guys that are high-level finishers. Now you can argue on the flip side and say, well, they're both so evenly matched. You know, they could go to decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Neiman Grace either snatches up a submission within those five rounds or Gayori or Yamauchi gets his own submission or possibly even a TKO victory. But either way, minus 160, I'm going to pound that spot. That's the breakdown for this fight, guys. Good luck. All right, boys and girls, just a summary of our picks here for Bellator 284, Gracie versus Yamauchi. Or if you're watching this as part of our Swift picks, it'll be our quick breakdown, our quick summary of the picks we like to win. At the top, we like Giyoti Yamauchi in the main event. Moving down, we like Steve Mowry, Bruna Ellen, Gokin Sarakam, Aaron Jeffrey, Josh Hill, Deanna Bennett, Sullivan Cauley, Patrick Downey, Nick Perez, Bailey Schoenfelder, Mitchell McKee, Ma Ya the second. Those are the fights we like. The ones that we don't have a lot of confidence in, the fights that we're just choosing the winner, but we're like, you know what? Probably not going to bet much on it. May just be watching it. At the bottom of the card, prelim card, Maya the second. We're choosing the win, but low confidence. Mitchell McKee, same thing, low confidence. Bailey Schoenfelder, he's a minus 1,200 favorite. I don't know how, only two fights. Same thing with Mitchell McKee, like 2-0. and oh. These guys are heavy favorites. I'm choosing them to win, but no value there. Hard to bet in those fights. Moving up the card, I'm taking Nick Perez as a dog there against Isaiah Hokett. We talked about it in the breakdown as to why. It's more of a dog or pass pick, obviously, at plus 500. Moving up to Patrick Downey at minus 1,200. We're choosing him to win, but again, at minus 1,200, 0-0 record. Sullivan Cauley, that's the end of the crazy favorites that are very inexperienced. Sullivan Cauley's minus 900 favorite at 3-0 against a 14-10 guy. Very dangerous territory. I could see a lot of casuals throwing all these heavy favorites into a parlay and saying, oh, there's some value there. Yeah, you're walking... A very treacherous walk line there. Now, moving up for the rest of the fights in the prelim card, there's two I want to talk about in particular. Josh Hill. We like him a lot. We also like Deanna Bennett a lot. I know it's women's bout. I get it. Those are two of the most popular picks that I like on this card, the ones that I have the most confidence in. On the main card, if I had to choose a spot that I like the most in the main card, I'm probably going to go with... I'm going to go with Aaron Jeffrey. Yeah, plus 170. I got doubts about Bruna Ellen against McFarlane. And I've got doubts about Steve Mary against Moldovsky, but I do like Steve Mary. And of course, with the main event, Yamauchi versus Gracie, it's a five-round fight. Anything's possible. So if I had to go over the full card again and tell you my most confident picks, I'm going to say Aaron Jeffrey at plus 170, Josh Hill at minus 180, and Deanna Bennett at minus 230. If you're looking for our parlay plays, track us online. I bet I mean, that tips. Look for that. Look, um, the link down below. I'm sorry to trip you. You'll see our link there for our profile. We also put our bets up on Twitter and on Instagram. 
Instagram. Those uh, links there for our profiles are down below. You can track us there. All of our information is free, 100% free. We've been on a bit of a rough stretch 2022, but uh, we do have some good hits every now and then. And if anything, we're giving you guys some content, giving you guys some breakdowns, giving you guys another few angles to think about. This wasn't a thorough breakdown. We didn't do the whole deep dive and background, but with this week's events, we have so much going on. The American Tennis Series and UFC and PFL, it just doesn't allow us enough time to go and do all the film study. Thank you for joining us. Please like and subscribe and go cut this fight card. Deuces.